Hi, my name is Melissa Urban, and you're listening to Do The Thing, a podcast where we explore what's been missing every time you've tried to make a change and make it stick. Today, my guest is Drew Manning. He's the New York Times bestselling author of Fit to Fat to Fit, the unexpected lessons from gaining and losing 75 pounds on purpose. And he's a leading voice in the burgeoning keto diet movement. Drew is known for his straightforward and empathetic fitness and health coaching. He's also one of my dearest friends here in Salt Lake City, someone I've confided in for years about the challenges of running my own business, single parenting, and life after divorce. And that's what we're here to talk about today in a very personal and emotional conversation, how we navigated our divorces. Our stories are remarkably similar. Drew and I met during a period of time about five years ago when we were both in the middle of a divorce, but because our lives were very public and our spouses were also our business partners— Neither of us were sharing our separations publicly. There were a lot of excuses made as to why our partners never showed up at social events. Later, after we realized we were in such similar situations, we went on to have many conversations about releasing our stories about our marriages, how to move forward without carrying baggage from our relationships, and how to navigate things like co-parenting, dating, and self-care. I've often said that the two-year period of my divorce and business split was both the most stressful time in my life and also the happiest, and that is the truth. There were a few key factors that allowed me to have that mindset shift away from the fear, anxiety, guilt, and shame around my marriage ending and into a beautiful period of self-discovery, rebuilding, redefining, and blossoming a return to my highest, fullest, truest self. In today's discussion, we'll talk about exactly those mindset shifts, the one tool that proved life-saving for both of us during our divorces, the most important things we did post-divorce to keep us from repeating negative patterns or behaviors, and how we see our relationships today, five years later. We share these stories freely to remind those of you going through a divorce or recently divorced that you are not alone. Time really does heal, but there are some key things you can do right now in the moment to make that mindset flip from fear and anxiety into hope, acceptance, and true happiness. We encourage you to find connection during this difficult time. I hope you find some of that connection in our discussion today. Now, on to the conversation. So, Drew Manning, <laughs> one of my very good friends, Fit to Fat to Fit, welcome to do the thing. Thanks, Melissa Urban. Yeah, It's hard for me to say. It's, it's not hard. It's just yeah, different. You know? I know, but I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you for making that effort. I'll get used to it eventually. <laughs> yes, you, we all will, because it's happening. All right, so the first thing I ask every guest is, what's your thing? So most people know me as the fit to fit guy and they assume that's my thing. But to be, you know, you know me on a very personal level. My thing is being a dad. Um, I have one of my tattoos says strong father, strong daughter. So I have two beautiful daughters and I'm super proud to be their dad. And that's my main purpose in life is being the best dad I can be. I feel like it's a lot of the pressure I put on myself to to be a good parent to them so that they grow up in this world 
knowing how a man is supposed to treat them. Mm. You know, a girl, a, a daughter learns how to love from her mom, but she learns how to be loved from her dad. And that's, for me, that's my role. That's my main thing. Yeah, I love that. And I've observed that in our friendship over the last few years. We're here yeah. to talk about our divorces. You know, I've asked, I've been asked a lot on social media how I navigated my divorce, mm. um, how I kind of rose from it. Then you and I are very, very similar in our stories. Yeah. I want to talk <laughs> about how we met. I want to talk about that first dinner where we met. Oh, because my gosh. Do you yeah, remember? I do. <laughs> so it was 2014. I forget how I was introduced to you in the first place. Do you even remember? Someone was like, you two should meet because you're both in Utah and you do yeah, similar things. I think it was, we started talking on social media yeah. first. So right? we arranged a dinner. Yes. And I thought it was just going to be you and I, like a business conversation. Yeah. And like the night before, you were like, yeah, Lynn, my wife and I are going to be at dinner. Now, my ex-husband, who was also my business partner, and I were separated at that point. But yeah. we couldn't tell anyone because we had this book contract and we were about to go on book tour together. And so we were really keeping this like separation private. So I showed up to dinner by myself with you two and made excuses for him. Like, oh, he's not here because he had something to do or whatever. Yeah. And it kind of turns out that you guys were in a similar situation in that moment. Very similar situation. <laughs> it's so interesting how that happened. Because now looking back, I see those signs of, you know, what you were going through. Like, oh, he can't, he couldn't make it. And then I would do the same thing with Lynn. Yeah. When it was, especially with my family even. Like, oh, she's not feeling well. She can't come on this trip. It's just going to be me and the girls been there done that and so but that's where we first started you yeah. know connecting and then from there things eventually unraveled for the both of us yeah so you're yeah. you were also married to your business partner yeah tell yeah. me about the business you ran together yeah so fit to fit to fit um you know started in 2011 and she was you know my spouse so she recorded me getting fat <laughs> she recorded all my weigh-ins i think she was so done with it by the end of it because she had to record all my you know, uh, food challenges that I had to do each week and all my weigh-ins and, you know, me crying about my, my love handles and my big belly. And like, it was such an interesting experience, but she was my business partner. Yeah. And that's the thing is we worked really well together. Yeah. Like, you know, I know a lot of couples and you probably do too. Like, how do you guys work together? How is that possible? Cause it doesn't, it's not common. So, um, she was my business partner. And even to this day, we still have our business tied to each other. Yeah. You know, which is a little different than us in that we did not work that well yeah. together. Um, yeah. We tried in the beginning, I think we did, but it just, it is very hard to work with your yes. spouse. But yeah. we had a very public relationship as the face and the co founders of Whole 30. Yeah. And, you know, I think, man, divorce is hard enough. Divorce plus a business split is harder. Oh. <laughs> divorce plus a business split in the public eye has to be yeah. like a whole different layer of challenges. There's so many layers, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What were some of those layers for you? Very similar, right? And having kids is yes. another layer, like a whole nother layer, right? Um, but yeah, being in the public eye was really, really hard because here I am, someone who grew up scared to death of what other people thought of me mm. to the point where it paralyzed me. I had that fear growing up. And if someone didn't like me, it bothered the, the heck out of me. Can I say hell? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> bothered the hell out of me. Um, and so here I was in the public eye being on TV shows, kind of similar to you. And I felt like I had to wear this mask of like, oh, we're happy. We're this happily married couple. And people would always be like relationship goals, you know, yes. like all these, all these things. And oh, and you would go home and Lynn would be crying her eyes out, um, you know, just heartbroken. And I would just be devastated knowing that we're just faking it. And it's so inauthentic 
to live a whole life like that. And I'm so grateful here. I'm 38 now that even though I had to hit rock bottom to figure it out, I'm so grateful that it eventually happened because I think life's too short to live an inauthentic life. And so many people go through their whole life, 60, 70, 80 years living inauthentically and never knowing what it's like to be truly authentically yourself. Right. So freeing. Do you feel like when you were having a hard time in your marriage, but still showing up as a couple because of your business, do you feel like you were just doing the bare minimum to show up or were you doing some image crafting, like almost making it seem as though your relationship was better than it was on purpose? Yeah, I was doing some image crafting for sure. 100%, depending on who was the audience, like who was watching, you know, whether it's social media or whether it's my family or whether it's her family or, um, you know, it depends, but definitely some image crafting in those situations. And that was my survival mechanism though, you know, like that's what I felt like I had to do in order to get through just this meeting or this TV show or this podcast, like I just had to do the bare minimum to get by, but also in certain situations like, Oh, we're happily. And that's the thing is like, we did fake it until we made it sometimes where I'm like, Hey, maybe this will work out. Like Mm -hmm. we're going on a date. We're actually laughing. We're having fun. We're intimate. Like, wow, this is, you know, maybe it's working. And then no, we're just pretending, you know, it's. Yeah. And that image crafting, you don't have to be a personality or like have a public life to be image crafting (laughs) your you know, dumpster fire of a relationship (laughs) with your friends and with your family. But the problem with doing that is it's even more isolating because then you can't talk to anyone. If I was, if I went to anyone and said, actually, Dallas and I are having really serious problems right now, they'd be like, what? Your life looks perfect. (laughs) Right. So it's just like catch 22 with the more you try to make your life look fantastic because you think it's going to insulate or protect you. It actually just makes you feel worse. A hundred percent. And not having that outlet is one of the hardest things, you know, to go through in life. Like not having a close friend, a sibling, zero people to say, this is what's happening right now. And it sucks. It's hard. Yeah. So for years, we both went through that. Yep. You know, we went through it side by side where we would hang out and see each other. You went to Hawaii for a little while mm-hmm. and like e- neither of us knew that we were in the middle of this situation. Yeah, I so, know. And I think a lot of people go through that in silence because that's the way our parents taught us because yeah. that's the way they were taught. Right. Of just suffer in silence, pretend like everything's OK. Don't rock the boat. Yeah. Because we don't have to deal with those emotions. Let's just, you know, get by. And I'm so glad that we, you and I, and other people have learned to break that cycle. And it's hard, it's scary, it's tough, but it's so worth it in the end. Why? Because our kids, if we can break that cycle for them, they're going to grow up, you know, in a different environment where, hey, it's okay to be vulnerable. Yes. Yeah. And if we, and if we allow ourselves in that moment, as difficult as it is to be authentic with the people that we're closest to, or the people who can offer support, it makes us better. We're more resilient. We're stronger. For not just ourselves and each other, but for our kids. Yeah. You know, don't deny yourself that out of fear. Yeah. I I think that's so important. Break the cycle. You know, we (laughs) I'm not gonna talk about why we each got divorced, Mm -hmm. in part because I don't talk about that for myself, and in part because you covered that already quite beautifully in a podcast that you recorded for your own channel. Yeah. Um, and I'll I'll make sure to kind of link to that because you did a, a wonderful job there of exploring, you. you know, your own vulnerability. But I think I'll just say that in any divorce. You try as hard as you can, whatever that looks like, until you just can't try anymore. And ultimately, that's why people get divorced. Yeah. Would you agree? 100%. And I think it's so easy to judge from an outside perspective. Like, oh, just try harder. It's like, don't give up. I get it, you know? But when you try and come from an outside perspective, judging someone's, you know, intimate relationship like that, it's, you know, it's not fair. 
and you haven't had those experiences, you haven't felt those emotions. Um, you know, and, and it's so hard because I came from a, a, a culture of endure to the end. Yeah, you know, no yeah. matter how, how hard it gets, you don't. So there's a lot of guilt and shame that came from yes. my divorce because of the religion I grew up in. And so how do you overcome that guilt and shame? It's not a simple switch you just turn on on in your head like, oh, well, I don't feel guilty anymore. It took me years to get to a point where I don't feel guilt and shame or feel like I'm a failure. Oh. Um, and that's that was the biggest thing. For years, I'm like, if I get divorced, therefore I'm a failure and I will be a failure the rest of my life. Oh, wow. You know? Because this was your first marriage. My first marriage. Yeah. And I was taught marriages are supposed to be eternal. Yeah. Last forever, no yes. matter how hard it gets. But man. Yeah. The guilt and the shame that comes from the cultural upbringing of this is a failure is really hard to overcome. But yeah. I can happily say I have overcome it, and I can you know gladly talk about that. I talk about that on my podcast yeah. too, how to overcome that. Yeah, I do want but, to talk about how you overcame that in a little bit. Um, this was my second marriage. Oh, so, that's right. Yeah. Oh right? my gosh. I totally oh yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh yeah. I've been married twice. So and to, to I would have said I think until I got into my relationship with Brandon that I didn't have any guilt or shame over the fact that I had been married twice. That I knew I kind of knew what happened in both situations and they were both learning experiences. And then I get into this serious relationship with Brandon, and the first time he took me home to meet his parents, I almost had a nervous breakdown. Really? Because I'm like, you know what? His parents are going to look at me and think. Um, okay, cool. She's this recovering drug addict who's been like married and divorced twice, single mom with a kid. Yeah, she's exactly who I would want for my son. Yeah. And he had to talk me off a ledge. Like the guilt and the shame came in. So, it came in thundering. Yeah. When I huh. thought I kind of had it all under control. That's so <laughs> interesting. So interesting. Yeah. Uh, the picture we paint in our head of what other people are going to think of us before we even meet them. Yes. You know? It's yes. so interesting. And, it, and like, again, Brandon would flip it around on me and he'd be like, um, you're a New York Times bestselling author. You're the CEO of a successful company. You're the best mom I know. You're like, the, you know, you're a great person. Yeah. Like, why would you tell yourself this awful story? But man, you know, obviously I was just terrified. It's the programming. It you know, is. That we grew up with. That's what we tell ourselves. I know. It oh, is. And even you've done all this work. Oh, yeah. You still deal with those things of. This was like a year, yeah. two years ago. Yeah. So, yes. <laughs> When when you and Lynn decided to split, what were you feeling? Were, was there relief? Was there anxiety? Was there fear? Was there depression? Was there like we you know we we've talked before about how there there needs to be, and we'll talk about the idea of a mindset shift during divorce. Yeah. But like in the beginning, was it just was it just like fear and soul crushing, or, or what were you experiencing? Uh, there was different phases of our breakup because when we broke up, it wasn't like one day I was there, the next day I was gone. So let me talk about the phases. So first, when we seriously talked about divorce, it was this sense of like my life's over, right? Mm. Like, how is this happening to me? How did I come to this place? Like, I don't know if I'll be able to survive this, Yeah, to be totally honest with you. Um, sorry. Um, and that lasted for a long time. Yeah. Like about a year or so. Until <laughs> you, in a way, saved us. You introduced Lynn to Catherine Dixon. Ah, uh, yeah. Byron Katie. Yeah, Byron Katie's work, um, Loving What Is. Lynn went to her, and then I went to her. She scheduled an appointment for me, and that's where I first started to see myself from a different perspective. Yeah. I learned how to love myself for the first time in my life. Catherine was the first human being to help me see myself and love myself despite my past and my, my situation I was in. Yeah. It was there that I learned that I needed to let Lynn go. And yeah. I loved her enough to let her go, knowing that 
holding on to our marriage was killing the both of us, you know, slowly, physically, emotionally, it really was. And once I found that self-love, I knew that I had to let go of our marriage. And I know it sounds backwards for some people, but just trust me, that's kind of what I went through. And once I, once I had that conversation with Catherine, I felt, you know, hundred pounds lighter, like just all this pressure and weight on my shoulders taken off. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. And now, but I was coming from a place of self-love yeah. instead of self-hate, my life is over, guilt, shame, all that stuff. So once we pulled the trigger on the divorce, it was scary, but I was hopeful. Yeah. You know? So that's what I'm talking about, the different phases yes. of what it was like when we split. Because even after we got divorced, we still lived together. Yeah. You know, people didn't know that. We went, we moved to Hawaii to get out of Utah, go through our transition in Hawaii. We lived together for the first six months. Yeah. We didn't sleep in the same bed. We slept in separate rooms. You know, but we wanted to do it our way. So we moved out there as a divorced family, lived together for six months, eventually told our daughters what, you know, what was going to be happening in, in our lives. And then we moved out into separate places. And that was a whole other phase to go through of like, okay, now I'm alone. Yeah. How do I get through this? Yeah. You know, so it was a lot of Saturday nights by myself, drinking a glass of wine, watching Game of Thrones until yeah. midnight, you know, or something. Just yes. How do I get through this phase? So yeah. those were the f- different phases. It's um, I also credit the work of Byron Katie with with literally saving my life during my divorce, and it is the only reason that I can say, in all honesty, that this process of getting divorced and going through our business split was both the most stressful and also the happiest time yeah. of my life because I was able to do that mindset shift, and yeah. for me. I had been working with Catherine and doing the work of Byron Katie as part of our like marriage counseling for yeah. a year or a year and a half. So I was very well versed in the theory, but there was a moment before we decided to like split split where it just came to me that I knew I couldn't try anymore. Um, I had given as much as I could, but that if we left the relationship, I could then have everything I wanted. Yeah, I could then have everything that I had been missing in my relationship. And again, it's not to say that like he was the only one not giving me what I needed. Obviously it was mutual, but there were things I wasn't getting out of our relationship. And I think you give up so many pieces of yourself in a marriage when you're trying to make it work. You just slowly chip away in the name of compromise and trying to the point where I didn't know who I was anymore by the time I got divorced. I didn't recognize myself. And the moment it shifted for me and I realized that I could now build exactly the life I wanted and I didn't have to compromise was the moment it all changed Mm. for me. It all changed. And I took that mindset into my life after divorce. Yeah. And and you and I have talked about this a lot. We've done a lot of (laughs) check-ins because our divorce happened on a similar trajectory because our lives are so similar and that we're kind of in the public eye. We have kids. What were some of the things that you did post-divorce that you think helped you be the most successful, helped you navigate it with the most grace? Yeah. So it all started from that first session the, uh, with the life coach, Catherine. And then from there was reading Brene Brown's work to get rid of the guilt and the shame. And yeah. um, meditation was another big thing. Positive affirmations. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I tried positive affirmations. I still remember this, the saying to myself, you know, the words, I don't know why I'm so emotional today. <laughs> um, you're a good man. You're a good father. I love myself. Like, I got goosebumps saying that to myself I the first time. Too. Yeah. And it's so 
you know, obviously every time I think of positive affirmations, I think of that Saturday Night Live skit with Stuart Smalley. (laughs) (laughs) I'm good enough. Gosh darn it. People like me. It seems so cheesy and so corny, but it helped me change my perception of myself. Yes, because you are trying to override decades of programming. Yeah. And so the biggest thing that I took away from all of this, and it was all these things that I started practicing was I have the power to change my perception. And if I can change my perception of myself or my situation, I can change my reality. I can change the story I tell myself. And in the end, I can change my life. Yes. I just came back from Hawaii and it's getting, you know, off topic a little bit, but I'll bring it back in. I just came back from Hawaii, the big island where my family's from on my dad's side. There's a lot of lava. There's a lot of black lava. And you could totally look at that and say, oh man, that's so ugly. It's a bad thing. It can kill you. And yes, lava does destroy life, but it also creates life. That's Mm -hmm. how all the islands have been created. That's how land is created. And over time, not at first, but over time, you know, shrubbery, trees, grass, fruits, vegetables start to grow and builds this beautiful island known as Hawaii, right? There's lots of islands, but that's how lava works. So lava could be seen as this life-destroying bad thing, like a divorce can, but on the other end of it, over time, it creates this beautiful thing, Yeah, you know? And so for me, that's kind of how you could look at your situation, your perception and say, this is bad, this is not good, my life's over, or if I give some time and I trust in the process, I continue to progress and move forward, good things will come from this. That is a beautiful And that's how I choose story. to look at my life. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, thank you. The message in that, what I'm hearing and what I did for myself as well, is that it takes time. Yes. <laughs> I think there were moments where I wanted to rush through my process of being divorced. Yeah. And like just get through the part where I'm divorced <laughs> and move on to the part where I started my life again. But I I intuitively knew. And part of it went back to this idea of like, okay, you can now build the life you want exactly the way you want it. And you do not have to compromise again. But this is going to take a lot of time and it's going to take a lot of work because you need to return to yourself now, Melissa. Yeah. I needed to remind myself of who I was yeah. and what I liked and what I stood for and my my strength and my confidence. Um, and a big part of doing that was very deliberately not dating mm. for a very long time. Yes. I did not date for probably a year and a half deliberately. And I yeah. know you did the same thing. Yeah. And we talked about that. Remember our hike yes. where we were like, are you dating yet? <laughs> no, me either. What do you, why is that so, why was that so important to you? For me, that was what I felt the most comfortable with first. Um, And I just, I knew I wasn't ready yet. I knew I had to develop a relationship with myself because I grew up hating who I was. I hated to be alone. And I knew one of the most important things to get to a better place was develop a, a better relationship with myself. And that required a lot of alone time, right? So when I didn't have my girls, I was on hikes, I was meditating, I was uh, self-reflection, journaling, those types of things for a good year to year and a half before I started dating people because I knew that if I went to another relationship broken still, I would just bring those broken pieces to that new relationship. And so for me, I felt like I owed it to myself and the next person I was going to date, you know, the best version of myself. Yeah. And I, I tell people all this time, if they go through a divorce, like spend time dating yourself. Yes. You spend the last X amount of years with this other person where you do lose your identity in a sense, like slowly over time, like you mentioned, like who are you without that person? Now you have to find out. Yeah. It doesn't just happen the next day. And so that's why I chose not to date for a long period of time because I knew I needed to date myself and figure out who I was and what I wanted. Otherwise I'd just be bouncing from person to person, like, yeah. you know, not really knowing and being unsure. And then they're like, okay, well, are we together? Do you like me? Where, where are we? You know, well, so, and then patterns repeat. 
And not only that, but now you're dragging your kids through it. And yep. that, that makes it, that's another layer. That yeah, it's a whole other layer of yeah. difficulty with dating with kids. Yeah. Versus if I didn't have kids, you know, I probably would have been more open to dating. But you got to understand having a kid and bringing that kid into a new relationship is, so, there's so many fears. Even still to today, I'll, I'll admit it, I still have fears about that. Yeah. Bringing my kids into a relationship with someone that I'm dating. What if they don't like the person I'm dating? What if that person doesn't like my kids? There's so many variables oh, that. yeah. You know, I've worked a long time trying to overcome all of them. Yeah. I'm still working on them. Yeah, I understand yeah. that completely. You know, during that space where I was dating myself, yeah. I was getting back into hiking. I, yeah. I changed my training routine to something that, like, I felt really served me and I loved. I had to create a new relationship with my mm, son yeah. because now it was just the two of us. And we had to create our own little routines and our yeah. own you know, fun things that we did. Uh, I was focusing on my work, but not trying to throw myself into it. And I was coming up with what I called my list of non-negotiables. Mm. So this was like, when I am ready to date again, these are like three or four things that I now know I will not live without. It yeah. was like, if my sister or parents don't like you, no questions asked, you're out the door. Yeah. <laughs> um, you cannot be intimidated by what I do for work. Yeah. You've got to be really stoked for like what I do and when I'm successful. You've yeah. got to be secure enough in that. You can never question the fact that my son comes first. Yeah. And I feel like because I had taken so much time to come up with this list, it made it very easy when I did start to date. I was not a hookup culture person. Yeah. So it was I was just either by myself or I was in these relationships where I was like, okay, this isn't you're not meeting my list of non-negotiables. Yeah. So it's not yeah. gonna go anywhere. But spending the time to come up with that list was very, very helpful for me. Yeah. And it also bought me a whole lot of time to be on my own. Yeah. And figure out what that looked like. Well, I think that's why it's so important to develop that that list that you mentioned. And my list, I guess well, I would say is very similar. And then yeah, it makes it so much easier to date because you're like, no. You know, you don't meet these these criteria, you know, if you will, that are very important to you that you've spent a lot of time. It's not just like you threw it together one day. Oh, yeah. Um, it takes time to develop that. So I love that. Yeah. How are you navigating or do you have maybe you don't have any anymore? Mm -hmm. I'd be shocked if you didn't. How do you navigate the post-divorce guilt when it comes mm. to your kids? Whether it's guilt about, you know, that you're not um, you're no longer a nuclear family yeah. or you're spending holidays maybe with them shuttling back and forth. Or maybe you feel guilty because on the weeks when you don't have them, you're super psyched to have like a week <laughs> to yourself. You yeah. know, do you experience any of that? That's good. Nah, that's a good question. Not as much as I used to, for sure. So I'm in a place now where my daughters have become, you know, very familiar with the way it's set up now. And um, I would say the only time it comes back slightly is when they mention something like mm. something we did going through a divorce has caused them maybe like they have to explain to their friends that, you know, oh, my parents are divorced. We're at my parents' house, my mom's house. And if it hurts them or makes them feel uncomfortable, there might be some sadness on my end, you know, where if they experience sadness, I experience sadness for them in a sense where I'm like, man, I wish, yeah, I wish it could be different, but it's, it's not. Uh, but luckily that's very rare nowadays. It doesn't really happen a whole lot to be honest with you. So uh, I'll just being totally honest. I don't really experience a lot of that, that guilt. That's great. Um, you know, I'm sure there will be moments coming up in the near future uh, with my daughters where they are older and more mature and we have more conversations. Maybe they have more questions where, you know, there might be some guilt or shame that is brought up if we haven't explored that. But for, I think for the most part. Yeah. 
I've also observed that you have a wonderful relationship with their mom. You guys co-parent beautifully. What are some of the most important things that you keep in mind to maintain a good co-parenting relationship? We've, even from the beginning, before we got divorced, we both decided that it was going to be as amicable as possible and that we would always be able to have that safe space to talk through it. And in with the mindset that our daughters will always come first, mm-hmm. right? So if it, we made that decision beforehand. So it was nothing personal. There was no trying to tear the other person down. Uh, so yeah. from the beginning, so we never really had to deal with that. But where we are now is uh, putting our daughters first and foremost in every situation. And that just causes us to communicate you know, as much as possible. So I'll tell her if something has happened with the girls that I think might cause an issue. If the girls go back and tell her, I'll tell her beforehand versus like, oh, well, maybe the kids won't mention it to her. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, just to give you a forewarning, this happened. If the girls bring it up versus hearing it from them. Yeah. And you might wonder like, oh, you put the girls in this situation and vice versa. She does the same thing with me. She can call me anytime. She can text me anytime. And there, it's a safe space to talk about, okay, this is what happened with the kids. This is where we're at. And you know, we're very openly, uh, I would say even over communicative about that. Yeah. Have there ever been moments where it's been really hard for you to just set your own feelings aside and do what's right for the sake of the kids? Yes. There have been moments where let's say I was annoyed at something, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe like she canceled on me and she couldn't help me out in a certain situation or vice versa. She's like, Hey, I need you to watch the kids from this time, this time or extra time. You know, it's so easy to get annoyed with little things like that, but you guys remind yourself it's a little thing. Yeah. And it's not worth, you know, you getting upset at them to where you hold a grudge against them and they know that. And then the next time a certain situation is flipped, they do the same thing to you to get back at you. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, and it that does. happens yeah. a lot. Yeah. So I will say that that's one of the most important things that has allowed me to navigate co parenting with grace is that I remind myself constantly that. Any um, dig that I think is coming from my ex-husband. Now, look, maybe it's not even, right? Maybe it's just my story about it because we have all kinds of entanglements there. But any dig, any time that he's kind of like going low with me or taking a cheap shot, because in the very, very beginning, I would also respond with a cheap shot. Well, you're going to do that? Then watch me do this. And I realized immediately that that only made me feel worse. The only thing that was hurting was me. And so in my integrity, what I need to do is sit on it as long as I need to. Sometimes I wouldn't respond to a text message right away. I would just Mm, wait. Smart. And then I would res- I would be able to respond with empathy and compassion. And he yeah. would do the same. There were times where I know I would send him like a little dig. Yeah. But invariably, I can't remember a situation in which eventually the other person didn't apologize. You know yeah. what? Man, I was kind of short with you. Sorry. Or that was yeah. kind of like a jerk move. I'm sorry. Yeah. And I think that that's me maintaining my integrity and staying in my business and asking myself, like, what's the right thing for me in this situation? Mm. The right thing for me is not to take a cheap dig. Yeah. I think has been really, really important in yeah. my maintaining like a good co-parenting relationship. No, I think that's awesome being able to have that relationship where they, you know, apologize or you apologize, you know, at least being aware of that versus not doing that, yes. that step of apologizing. I think that's really important. So, and, and one of the things we've also talked about is that time smooths so much over, oh, yeah. you know, how, <laughs> as fresh as the hurt is in the beginning and as on the surface as all of these feelings of anger and resentment and, yeah. With time, it just like a river rock smooths over and it does get better. I know. For people who are out there in the beginning stages of this, like it does get better if you take the time <laughs> to work on yourself because yeah. that's the only way it's going to get better. Yeah. Right? It only takes one person to change for a dynamic, a relationship to change. Yeah. Yeah. 
One thing I want to talk about or mention is that it's very easy to look at you on social media. You are this media mogul. You've got this incredibly successful business. You're traveling all over the world and you're speaking and you're all, you've got a podcast. You've got two podcasts. You've got a line of <laughs> supplements. You're a fantastic dad. You're taking your kid on trips and, and you're, you know, traveling together as a family. It would be really easy for someone to look at you and say, well, he's got it all figured out. Yeah. Why am I struggling so hard? And I think it's always really important for us to acknowledge the privilege that we have in this area. 100%. I know you think about and talk about it, but would you talk about what this privilege is and how it's it's kind of benefited you as a co-parent? Yeah, and I, I feel, you know, this is the problem that we run into with social media in general is the, the whole comparison mm-hmm. component of social media. But that's all up to us and our perception of those people we see on social media. So what you see is, you know, what I want you to see and you perceive me a certain way. And, um, you know, I know that my situation is totally different than other people's situation. A lady just reminded me of that the other day, actually. And it was good for me to, to hear it from her. She's like, I'm a full-time single parent. My ex doesn't help out at all. Yeah. It must be nice to have yes. a sp- an, an ex-spouse that takes the kids 50% of the time. I'm like, you know what? It really is. And I'm sorry you're in that situation. That yes. would be so hard. I can only imagine how hard that is. At the same time, I do have to acknowledge that I do have privileges of having a great relationship with my ex-spouse, having a good relationship with her fiance, right? Where we all get along and we all can go to dinner together. You know, everyone doesn't have that, that privilege and that ability to, to do that. And so, you know, I would just say, it's really hard to not fall into that trap of comparison. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I'll be totally honest with anyone out there. Like this is my situation. I'm very blessed and very fortunate but like you said, you you know, post the good with the bad. I'll post, you know, lessons that, uh, you know, maybe I thought I was doing something right in the situation. Maybe I made a mistake. And I'll talk about mistakes I've made with my girls. Um, yes, you'll see some fun stuff that we're doing. I'm trying to teach some lessons and and all these things. But there's times where I mess up and I yeah. I screw up and I'm like, damn it. I yeah. Need to- I still have some work to do. (laughs) But that only makes you more relatable. The fact that you're willing to share all of these things and the fact that you're willing to like share the good and the bad and that you're willing to show up and say, I'm still trying to figure it out. A long time ago, somebody asked me like, well, how do you make it all work? Or I think it was in a podcast. Someone was like, oh, you're, you're, how do you effortlessly balance all of this stuff? And I'm like, let me tell you how. (laughs) I'm a half-time mom with a very good co-parent. I have a full-time nanny. I have a job that lets me come in and out when I please. I set my own hours. I'm financially stable. Like I have all of this privilege that you have to understand goes into like how I'm making it all look so quote effortless. Yeah. <laughs> but I but I also think it's really important to share the tough parts. Yeah. Um, you know, the the meltdowns your kid has or the time where you, you know, feel like you messed it up or even just the insecurities. Yeah. Um, I know one year for Mother's Day I posted a, a picture saying like I ha- I still have no idea how hard it is to be a truly single mom. Yeah. And I feel like it's like and I'll, I'll even add like single parent. It doesn't matter if you're a mom or a dad yeah. or how you identify, but like to be a truly single parent is is the hardest, loneliest, most like self-doubt um, yeah. inducing job in the world. Yeah. And I give so <laughs> much credit, all the credit. Yeah. And I think that makes you relatable as well because people feel like if you can – um, they feel validated or in a sense, like someone understands my struggle. Someone sees the pain I'm going through and there's hope at the end of the tunnel. I mean, that's, that's kind of what you're doing in a sense and we're doing. Um, yeah. And for people who are truly single parenting out there and they don't have the support of family or friends and they're doing it all by themselves. Sometimes that connection you make on social media yeah. where, you know, you, you can drop a comment and just say like, I see you. Yeah. I hear you can make all the difference. 
You mentioned earlier that you no longer see your marriage as a failure. Yeah. What did it take to get there? Or if it's not a failure, how do you see it now? Yeah. So similar to the whole lava thing that I mentioned, <laughs> you know, I definitely don't see it as a failure. And the reason is because I don't, I choose not to define myself as a failure, mm -hmm. right? The old me would have defined myself as a failure. My life's over. No one's going to want to date me. Um, you know, my family's going to disown me. I'm a failure for the rest of my life. That's the story I could have told myself and the old self would have, you know, probably continued on down that path. Had I not learned that vulnerability is a strength, the power of owning my story, self-love, coming from a place of self-love versus self-hate, uh, these lessons, truly believing them, really helped me change my perception of the, the marriage uh, and the divorce happening because I'm in a place now where I see life is happening for me instead of to me, right? So instead of life happening to me, um, you know, why did God put me in this situation? Why did I have to go through that versus, okay, I got divorced. What can I learn from it? How can I grow from this? Because if I don't do that, I feel like I would be failing as a parent. Yeah. I would not break that cycle to pass on to my kids, self-love, embracing vulnerability as a strength, owning who you are, being authentic. So for me, that's what, you know, I feel like it's not a failure because yeah. if I can pass it on to my kids, I don't see it as a failure. I, feel, I see it as a learning lesson the way your marriage was showing up to you was actually the way you were showing up into your marriage. Yes, yeah. And recognizing great, and realizing yeah. that makes all the difference. That's brilliant. Yeah. Byron Katie has a quote. She says, there's no mistake about the person you're with. He or she is the perfect teacher for you, whether or not the relationship works out. Mm. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I believe that now. I wouldn't have believed that before, yeah. back in the day with the upbringing that I had and the culture that I came from. But I definitely see that now. I think, you know, there's people come to our lives for sometimes a reason, sometimes a season to learn something, to grow from it. And if you look at life that way, you'll be so much hap happier, even though it still sucks, like the pain from a breakup and going through divorce, it's still going to be there. But if you have these tools in your tool belt to help you after the hurt and the breakup, you'll be able to move along so much quicker. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a year, five years, 10 years, you know, but if you can figure it out eventually, you won't waste your life. Yeah being in this place of feeling guilty and ashamed and seeing yourself as a failure. Um, so that's why I love Baron Katie. Yeah. You know, if someone had read me that quote at the beginning of my divorce, I probably would have given them the middle <laughs> finger. <laughs> but so true. Yeah. In hindsight now, I can absolutely be so grateful for all of the lessons that I learned from my marriage, the hardest parts included from my divorce, the hardest parts included. Um, and I also don't see it as a failure in any yeah. way. You know, we got a beautiful child out of it. I learned yeah. so much because of that experience. I'm now in what I consider like the relationship of a lifetime, the best, healthiest yeah. relationship I've ever been in. Yeah, I'm I'm very grateful for for him as a teacher. Yeah. Um, and that took a while to get yeah. to. And so if you're in the middle of that space right now, again, you know, just be patient, work on yourself and allow time to help. Yeah. At the end of every episode. I ask all of my guests, what's one piece of advice that you could give to someone who was going through a divorce right now or freshly out of a divorce? Um, it's so interesting you asked that because I just had someone reach out to me today who's going through a divorce, not sure how they're going to get through it. You know, what are some advice I can give them? And I told them, like, hey, embrace the suck. Like, embrace the pain, recognize it for what it is, and don't try and speed yourself through the process. Like, it took me years to get to the point where I am. I know you're trying to shortcut, like, how can I get to where, you know, Drew's at, for example. Right now, it's going to suck for a little bit, and that's okay. But after that, like, here's some tools. Here's the life coach I use. Here's some books I read. Here's some podcasts I listen to. Here's some meditations that I use. Here's my positive affirmations. I lay all that out for them because that's what helped me. 
but each person's journey is so different. So be patient with yourself. And if you can learn how to change your perception, your whole life is going to change. So maybe that's working with a therapist or a life coach or reading a new book or listening to a new podcast or whatever it takes to help you change your perception Sometimes it takes these outside sources of someone else talking to a friend. But if anytime you try and just figure it out on yourself and say, if I just, you know, white knuckle this and willpower my way through it, I'll be able to figure it out. I promise you, you'll be light years ahead if you allow people to help you during this process. Yeah. So don't deny yourself that connection during this really difficult time. Yeah. Be brave enough to show up authentically. Yeah. Just as you have here today. Thank you, Drew Manning. Thank you so much for doing this with me. So where can people find you, connect with you, and hear more about the things you're sharing? Yeah, so it's super simple. All my social media, my website, my book, my podcast is fit, number two, fat, number two, fit. If you just Google that or put that in Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you'll find all my stuff. It's super simple. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today. You too. Thanks for joining me today on Do The Thing. You can continue the conversation with me at Melissa underscore Hartwig on Instagram and visit Whole30.com slash podcast for today's show notes and bonus content. If you have a question for Dear Melissa or a topic idea for the show, leave me a voicemail at 321-209-1480. Do The Thing is part of the Onward Project, a family of podcasts brought together by Gretchen Rubin all about how to make your life better. Check out the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, and Happier in Hollywood. Finally, before you leave, please subscribe, leave a review, and invite your friends to do the thing. See you next week. From the Onward Project.